Marini's Media. And welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up, Arsenal, Manchester City, Everton and Birmingham are your last season's FA Cup semi-finalists. Yes, keep up. Alex Morgan didn't make her debut for Spurs, but she did get a lot of camera time. We were expecting that. And we'll be speaking with Birmingham boss Carla Ward. I'm Lindsay Hooper and in a switch to normal listening, I'm joined by a couple of debutantes. First up, she's been through the Offside Rule programme and graduated with flying colours. We're very proud. Now reporting for BBC Radio London, heard on the Totally Football League show and many others, it's Florence Lloyd-Hughes. Hey Flo. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Very good, uh, very well, trying to keep dry because we seem to have entered that time of year now where it's just rain and cold. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sheltered well in the home studio and I hear that you're in your bedroom right now. I am, that is the glamour of um, home podcasting and I'm now trying to work out where else I can go because it's getting trickier and trickier to record at home. So <laughs> without that much space in the London flat, you've got to improvise you do. We're all facing those same issues. Alongside Flo, we're welcoming BBC Women's Sports reporter Joe Curry. Joe, where are you? Hello, both. I am also in a bedroom. Again, the glamour of podcasting from home. Are you doing the duvet overhead to get better soundproofing? <laughs> this is an image that people don't to get to see. I spend half my life in lockdown with a duvet over my head, to be fair. <laughs> um, look, if it sounds OK like this, I'll, I'll stay above the duvet. Um, you let me know if you need me to go underneath it. That sounds a bit wrong. OK, <laughs> we'll monitor that. Well, what it gets it too was. hot, though. It get, when I've done, I've done duvet recordings and I just I nearly pass out because you can't breathe. <laughs> it's like completely horrible. We want you breathing for this podcast, so we'll stay as we are <laughs> yeah, we for the time so. being. Uh, what a weekend it was um, in terms of the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Now, last week, Rich Laverty and I predicted an Arsenal v Chelsea final. I don't think we were the only ones, although I have been awful with predictions this week <laughs> in football. Um, that is now off, of course. Uh, we'll get to the semi-finals later, but first up, the quarters. Let's find out how everyone got on here. Uh, we'll start with Arsenal Spurs. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash offside to get started. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. It's a loose ball from Neville and Nobbs will go for it! And it's superb! How many times have we seen quality like that? Yep, North London derby is where we begin. A stunning glob from Jordan Nobbs and a hat-trick from Lisa Evans was the undoing of Spurs in the first of the weekend fixtures as Arsenal beat their North London rivals by four goals to nil. Joe, I'm going to start with you because I know you were there for this one. You were working in the miserable weather, you were in the <laughs> dank and in a Winnebago, I hear. I want to say that I really enjoyed my first live football match that I'd been at in six months. But as you say, it was so cold. I actually most watched it 
off the telly in the Winnebago in the car park. Um, for me, I thought Spurs uh, did incredibly well. You know, they went toe to toe with Arsenal for 70 minutes. Um, to be fair, they didn't look like they were going to score, but they were really able to, to stop Arsenal's flow. Um, there are a lot of sort of tactical tackles, if you like. Um, the thing I would say about Arsenal is they have a squad of international players, a lot of which were out on international duty heading into that game. Some picked up knocks. You know, there's no Jill Rod who'd scored two hat-tricks in her previous two games. Um, and I just thought Arsenal looked tired, if I'm honest with you. Okay. They looked tired. They looked maybe cold at times. Um, but in the end, as soon as they got that breakthrough... I think that was it for Spurs, wasn't it? And then two goals in, in quick succession around the 70-minute mark, and they, they just couldn't come back from that. Looking tired, interesting comment, because that might apply more, I suppose, for Chelsea and Manchester City as the season goes on when we factor in Europe. Arsenal might not really be given much leeway with that excuse. No, true. I, I, again, it depends on international duties as well, whether players are travelling, how much they're playing, how much they're training. I mean, Joe Montemurro said afterwards, it's typical for us, players go off on international duty and then some of them come back injured. Um, and Jill Ward obviously being one of those this week. But you're right, you know, they'll mm. be playing in one less competition this year. As a club, they won't be travelling. So tiredness should be less of an issue. But certainly they it took them a while to get going. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it's fair to say, but you have to give credit to Spurs. You know, this is still a team that I think is developing, still getting used to playing teams in that top division. And as I say, they didn't ever look that dangerous on the attack, but they certainly, they were well organised and defensively they did really well until that, that first breakthrough, that first goal. Look, I'm sure we're going to go on to wax lyrical about that Jordan Nobbs lob because it was beautiful. But I I think you're right to talk about Spurs and Flo. I I watched and I thought that Kennedy, uh, at times, she's such a great player for them. But I think, Joe, you're onto something when you say that they just haven't got much of an attacking outlet, have they? I mean, she put in a couple of really good balls into the box and there was just nobody there. They could have done with Alex Morgan, but she didn't actually make an appearance. No, it was a bit of the Alex Morgan show, despite her not even coming on the pitch. There was a lot of sort of panning over to the bench and how cold does Alex Morgan look currently? And <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with Joe. I, I think the the change in temperature and the change in season can't be underestimated. We're all feeling it, so they must be feeling it too. And, and Saturday was especially brutal with how cold the wind was and it was also raining at one point. So I think it was a bit of a shock to the system for a lot of players. Spurs were their their usual organised selves. But last season was the same. They do struggle to score goals, despite where they finished in the table last year. They they lacked a lot of, of, of goals. And I think maybe Alex Morgan will bring a bit of that, but she's not here for that long. So long term, I think Rihanna Dean is a fantastic young player, but maybe they need to think of a bit more of a powerhouse. And as soon as they did concede, and then they conceded that second exceptional pass from Miedemar to Lisa Evans... They made that sort of triple substitution. And then because Spurs were chasing the game, they were just so exposed. And then it was kind of open season. So it, it unraveled so quickly, despite mm. them holding on and being so compact for so long. So it must be frustrating for them because I think it was a bit of a harsh scoreline. Didn't really reflect how well they played. But there's probably positives for them to take. But they're still lacking that competitive goal against Arsenal in, in any games. But they've, they've got a lot to, a lot to be happy with. I spoke to to Karen Hills, the Spurs manager, afterwards on camera, and she was devastated. She was gutted. She knows that her team were in with a chance. She said of doing something really special. And it was just 
a switch off at the back. It was a, you know, a, an individual error. And that was kind of all it took then to let Arsenal in. And she knows that, you know, her team actually came close to doing something really, really special at the weekend. And I, look, I think they'll, they'll push on from this. They'll realise that they can compete against the big teams. But I think goals potentially could be the problem. Um, hopefully Alex Morgan solves that for them. But also, what a welcome to England for Alex Morgan. You just saw her <laughs> sat on the bench in the stand. She had a, a puffer jacket around her shoulders wearing it. She had one on her legs. She had a scarf up over her face. At that point, do you think she regretted leaving Florida? Possibly. I mean, despite the cold, the cameras all stayed around. I mean, we saw how well she can sprint at the end, didn't we? She was doing the warm down. Um, I liked how everyone stayed around for that. Um, I think you're I think you're right. I think as soon as Arsenal unpicked that Spurs defence, Jordan Nobbs, by the way, we have to give credit to a beautiful lob. It, it felt like it was slow motion as you watched it go in. Um, she just she knows how to execute those shots so well. It did feel like that was it then, heads dropped a little. And I wonder if there's work to be done mentally with this Spurs squad because they worked so hard and they had kept that clean sheet for so long. But as soon as as that goal went in, then, you know, second, third and then eventually fourth came. It's, it's a belief thing, isn't it? I think when you spend your first year in the Women's Super League, survival is always going to be um, your first target. And they, they did tremendously last year okay yeah the season didn't end with a full season so we'll never know quite how they would have ended up had it gone all the way but they had a great first season they should take a lot of encouragement from that and realize that they're not just there to make up the numbers you know this is a club that's invested well in in players and that over the next couple of seasons they want to be doing what Manchester United doing which is really looking to the top of the table you know Casey Stoney when she came in talked about a plan I think it's a five-year plan and that involved European football there's no reason why Spurs can't and shouldn't be doing the same thing We are now collecting data around women's football and I don't know whether that's a good thing for Spurs because the aggregate score of the last five North London derbies is now Arsenal 26, Spurs nil. I mean, how how does that prove to be a motivator for the next match? It's quite a, quite a tough thing to, to and daunting prospect to go into the, the next North London derby, you think, Flo? Yeah, definitely. And... I mean, the the two legacies of these two teams are vastly different. We know about Arsenal's incredible record in the FA Cup as well as, you know, every other competition in Europe as well. So I think they're on two different trajectories and it's perhaps about acknowledging that, that it's going to potentially take a while for Spurs to be competing with Arsenal in these games. But cup competitions are that opportunity to cause a bit of upset and leave Mm. everything out there on the pitch. I know you mentioned Alana Kennedy earlier, and I think she's going to have a massive impact on this team, even though she's only here um, temporarily. I think she's really going to leave a legacy with these players because she's a big presence. She's very tall and she's very big. And I think that's important for Spurs. She's vastly experienced. She's played international football. She's played at the top of the game. And I think she is going to really whip a lot of that team into shape because she is a sore loser and she does not want to, you know, she wants to leave a bit of an impact on that team and the WSL as well. So I'm really interested to see how she does with this group because I see, you know, I see her as a bit of a leader within some of those younger players and for her to say, look, you know, I've come here to play and I I, want to win. So like, let's, you know, let's work harder, let's push harder. And she's so talented as well. Kennedy's quite an interesting one because she's, she's a very good, centre-back she's an excellent defender but is choosing or is being put in central midfield and I actually think she's stronger in defence so it's going to be really interesting to see how what she can do in midfield this season and how Spurs use her. 
Mm. Well, Arsenal will then go on to face the winners of Leicester versus Manchester City. So let's move on to that fixture next. We have said previously that City don't score a lot of goals and that was proven right despite being against opposition in the tier below. A penalty from Caroline Weir broke the deadlock before Georgia Stanway scored City's second. But it was a tense finish after Leicester's Charlie Devlin scored a penalty herself. It wasn't going to be the fairy tale finish for the Foxes though. Uh, City were dominant throughout this match but there still seems to be this problem with finishing chances, doesn't there Joe? City are one of those teams that either struggle to finish chances or score eight. Um, there doesn't seem to be sort of much in between. And it's similar, I guess, to the, the Spurs-Arsenal game. Leicester did so well to, to keep City to the goals they did, and one of which was, was a penalty. But Leicester never really looked like they would score from open play. I mean, Georgia Stanway looked dangerous, as she always does, but probably should could have had a couple more goals. Um, are they still settling in? I think they probably are. You know, City have signed some big name players this season. Yes, Lucy Bronze has played for them before, but it's still, you know, getting those players back in. They've got a new manager. Um, I think it's going to find it's going to take them a little bit of time to really find their feet. They'll be absolutely fine this season. They'll be up there come the end. But they haven't. They certainly haven't hit top gear as yet. Does it feel like something's yet to just click here, Flo? I think so. I mean, I think you can't underestimate the impact of having a new manager who hasn't worked with this group before and also as Joe mentioned new players who are sort of trying to work out how to play with each other again I think previously they had a very set way that they like to play whether that was with Nikita Paris and Lucy Bronzer at the time or last season where a lot of the focus was on Georgia Stanway but I think if you get a reputation and and you start to believe that you're going to struggle to finish chances, then I think that it's almost like following them like a cloud. And as they get into games and and the clock ticks down, like we saw in the Brighton game when it was nil-nil, it's going to get hard. They're going to start to really feel that pressure. And when you've got younger players like Stanway, who is getting loads of chances and not finishing them, it's going to build up and there's going to be a lot of pressure, but you need those more experienced players to then pull through. Someone like Ellen White, someone like Lucy Bronze, who can get goals, to then say... Like you know, the, the chances will the chances will will come through. We've just got to create, continue to create them. And I think having Taylor as the leader there, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that. As, as having such an incredibly talented collective of players, but then how do you bring them together and make sure that they get results? And and that is a massive challenge. You can't just expect to have you know one of the best starting 11s in the league and and win every single game. Speaking of players leaving an impression, you know, you were saying about Alana Kennedy and and what she might leave behind at Spurs. I do wonder whether Georgia Stanway is starting to pick up the baton from Jill Scott. I wanted to put this to you, Joe, because we've always known watching Jill Scott over the years and her time at Manchester City. And of course, she is entering the twilight of her career. Um, She's always been a nuisance, hasn't she? She's always got those (laughs) long legs of hers. She's always managed to intercept balls and been great at turning play over in midfield. And I think that has been one of her biggest assets she can just turn the ball over and and turn what has been the opposition's attack into your own attack and Georgia Stanway seems to be getting this it's something that seems to have been inherited and and probably something she's observed by being a teammate Jill Scott has always been a nuisance is my favorite words on this podcast so so far um look Jill Scott I've been speaking to her for you know interviewing her for many years in the last couple of seasons occasionally I'll slip in the fact I use the word veteran and she hates it she knows I'm sure she wouldn't like this (laughs) as anyone would you and I would hate it too um she knows she she's 
coming not maybe to the end of her career, but it's starting obviously to look beyond her career because she's taking on this coaching role at Manchester City. For me, mm-hmm. she's still as good as she ever have been. She's one of the fittest people in the league. She used to be a runner and she's she's never looked like she's got any slow or certainly can't keep up. For me, she's still in incredible form, but, but she, she can't keep going forever. And Georgia Stanway is one of my favourite players to watch. It's like watching a terrier who will just chase and chase and chase. And what I always found interesting is when Manchester City took uh, Carly Lloyd on loan for that season, Georgia Stanway told Nick Cushing that she's my idol. And so when she came to City, I actually think Carly, uh, Carly Lloyd had quite a big impact on Georgia, who was, who was breaking into the first team at the time. Um, mm. But you can, you can just see how she's developed. She is one of the senior players now at Manchester City. She is a regular in the England squad. She's got this confidence about her that she's happy to have a go, you know, have a shot anywhere in the park. Um, and I, yeah, for me, she is very much the future of City and probably the future of England as well. I think she's just one of those players as a fan, you just can't help but love her because of the work rate and because she does hustle. She is a hustler in that midfield area. Um, And that's what you want to see, isn't it? Players just working for everything. Um, A word on Leicester, though, because they did prove here, and I think there is is a concern that the gulf between championship teams and WSL sides, with them being fully professional, it's starting to open up more. But Leicester and and being a side as well that are pushing for that uh, to hopefully get promotion in the future they prove then no pushover yeah definitely I think it's really positive for for smaller teams they were the last man standing in terms of championship second tier teams in the the phase one of the FA Cup shall we say this season and I think with all the news that they've announced as a club over the last couple of weeks the latest one being Emil Heskey as their club ambassador I think it's really exciting and I think it's it's a great step forward for those in the second tier. It obviously makes it more difficult for teams like Durham, Lewis, who haven't necessarily got the backing of bigger men club, bigger men's clubs, who then can carry that ambition and say, you know what, we've seen the potential now of the women's game and we're going to support you and we want to see you in the WSL. It must be frustrating for some of those guys who are continually battling in the second tier, but may not reach those heights just because they don't have that support but I think it's important for a cup competition to still have those sorts of teams hanging around in the latter stages and you know at the end of the day the scoreline 2-1 they got themselves sort of back into the game despite City dominating I think they can take a lot from it and when we enter phase two of the FA Cup this season I mean they might even even get further and I think there's lots of positives for those lower tier teams. For me, you know, clubs in the championship um, who want to get promoted, they have to be full time. It's the only way you're going to compete. You've got Liverpool in there this season. You've got the likes of Leicester who are who are full time. Um, you know, we saw with Aston Villa. If you want to get promoted, you have to invest. And yes, that's going to rule out some clubs who just don't, don't have that money because we're talking millions. We are talking millions to run a competitive women's football team in the top two tiers. But for the game, it's terrific. We want as many professional teams as possible. We want as many female footballers as possible earning a living from this sport. So what Leicester are doing is fantastic. And the fact that they did so well against Manchester City, it gives you optimism that teams you know, can get promoted and then do well in the Women's Super League. And I would not be surprised to see them get promoted in the next season or two. You could even see it going that it becomes just expected by or maybe even stated by the FA eventually that the championship has to be fully professional as well. 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Women's Super League over the next few seasons because there's this talk and there are talks going on with the Premier League Mm. about the potential of taking it over. If that happens, does that mean that only teams in the top division have to have an affiliated men's club? And and if it's not the the Premier League that take over the the Super League and maybe the Championship as well, whoever takes it over, and there is, you know, the FA eventually does want to pass it on. They've always said we didn't want to run our own professional league. Um, More, more, I suspect a lot of money is going to come in with broadcast deals and and other things over the next few years. And I just think the game can only push on and should only push on from here. Leaving us some serious food for thought there, Joe. That's one semi-final done. So up next, the result of the weekend. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Amy Lawrence, Nancy Frostick, David Ornstein, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. If you're not yet a subscriber, take out a free 30-day trial right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash offside. Infield to Lucy Graham, back to Hayley Rasso again. First time crossing block. Rasso picks it up, the second cross does reach the penalty area and it's there, it's a super goal, it's a wonderful ball in and it is a super goal for Everton. Yes, the result of the weekend was Everton-Chelsea. If you missed it, Everton, the apparent underdogs in this match, although we will address that later, uh, they proved us all wrong, winning 2-1 against the league champions. Chelsea, who gave Penila Harder her first start, went 1-0 up after Erin Cuthbert scored inside five minutes, and they did look like they were really up for that match at that point. But they couldn't find the back of the net again, and they were made to pay. It was two headers, a diving header from Lucy Graham, and then another one, and it was lovely header from Valerie Govan, gave the Toffees an unexpected win. So what a result this ended up being. Did anybody predict this? Because actually, when you look at Everton's winning record at the moment, a six-game winning run they're on, should we have written them off? I'm going to sound a bit smug here, and partly on, because I've been on last week, because this was the, the tie of the, of the weekend that excited me most, actually. And I, I texted a friend, so I have proof. I honestly have proof that said, I think I fancy Everton for this one, or at the very least, I thought they'd push Chelsea pretty hard, and they did. And I just want to say that the fact that Everton conceded early, it's so easy up against a team against Chelsea who can score goals for fun. We know that. You know, they had nine different goal scorers in one week um, last week. To pick yourselves up and go again... I thought was really impressive. And yeah, Chelsea should have scored more. But Everton, I was going to say, answer me honestly, after the first 20 minutes, did you still stick by that text? After the first 10, I was probably... <laughs> certainly on a fence after the first 10 minutes. But I think what, what Willie's managed to do at Everton, he's, he, they've gone slightly under the radar this season. You know, you've seen the, the US players go to City, United, Spurs, Chelsea have obviously signed Sam Kerr and Penila Harder. Arsenal have signed Australian internationals. And Everton have just gone under the radar slightly with their signings. But the likes of Izzy Christensen and Hayley Rasso, who are like new signings this season, the fact that Valerie Govan has it's been incredible. I just think, just keep an eye on them because I think they're only going to get better and better. So let's dissect this performance then, Flo. Um, let, let's begin with that Govan header because how brave and, and that's the sort of header I love to see. And for a winning goal, you can't get much better. Yeah, and that's exactly why they've spent the money that they have on her. They Everton have rejigged the, the club set up a bit and they've now got 
a lot of financial support. And Willie Kirk has, has got the players that he wanted and he's building a, a really exciting team. And I think a cup competition is exactly what Everton should be aiming for and they could potentially win two this season. I think this is the kind of thing that Kirk will be eyeing up as saying, you know, we're building, we're building towards something and coming away this season with a trophy would be the, the best case scenario I I, re- I thought it was a fantastic performance despite a lot of those Chelsea chances that could have come close I mean I really enjoyed as well um, Gabby George on on the commentary because I didn't I didn't realize for for a while that it was the club stream and I was thinking oh the, these guys are a bit one-sided a bit biased <laughs> but and, you know, I, I didn't and then I suddenly realized she, oh she's wait on her feet. <laughs> she's yeah. standing up and and then I realised, oh, like, you know, I could hear their accents. And I was like, oh, yes, it's the Everton club stream. No wonder they're very um, in favour of Everton. But although it was backs against the wall a bit, you know, Sandy McIver made some immense saves. Yes. They they rode their luck a little bit. But Hayley Rosso had that chance as well to, to put them 2-1 up uh, even before Govan did. So I think they... They were building towards something special and then to get the winning goal was just, you just felt like there was something in that to to hold everything and to hold out that long. Then you felt like, okay, there's an opportunity here for them to nick it. And it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea bounce back. Obviously, mm. they've got, you know, an- another cup competition to look forward to and another FA Cup this season. But they, you know, Emma Hayes will have her... Uh, Sights set on a double at least this season. So to already get knocked out this early, it could help them in terms of already having one off the cards and, and not one to worry about. But they've got such a big, talented squad now. So even though a few names were left out, that team that they put out were a very strong team. So Everton, I agree with Joe. I think there's big, big things on the horizon for them this season. And Definitely, at least fourth, I think, and potentially pushing that top three and definitely coming away with at least one trophy, I think. The thing that you mentioned about McIver and those solid saves um, really highlighted to me and, and what I've noticed is that they've got a really strong spine, Everton. And we all know that Izzy Christensen, she won Women's Player of the Year a few years back, um, that she was an immense talent. But I, I think we're starting to see her back to her best. Uh, she really was pulling the strings. And I wondered, Joe, whether you recognise that this is the player that we got used to a few years back. I mean, she's had a really tough, uh, what, 18 months or so. She was, you'd think, in line to, to go to the World Cup. She was a regular in the England squad. She picked up that awful injury at the She Believes Cup. And I think she knew as soon as she picked up the injury, literally she was being carried off the pitch, she knew her World Cup was in doubt. She then managed to get herself back just about playing. Um, she was at St George's Park day in, day out, trying to get herself fit. The FA were pushing her to get fit. And then she still didn't make... Um, the World Cup squad and I think physically mentally maybe more importantly she had to take some time to really get a head around that I mean we got to work with her at the BBC it was wonderful for us but to go and watch your teammates go and play at the biggest tournament on earth it, it must be so hard to see her back now she really is up there where where she was when she won uh, PFA player of the year she she looks like she's enjoying her football and that's what you want mm. to see from a player and the fact she got her England you know recall last week it's been a long time coming for her and if you read the the article on the BBC Sports website her, her column it talks about the fact she wasn't expecting it but it 
it meant so much to her. And as, as press, we got invited in to watch a sort of behind doors training game, England one versus England two. I think it was mm. Steph Horton's 11 versus Ellen White's 11. And Christensen for me was one of, if not player of the match. And for me to see her back for Everton, she's going to be huge for England. She can have a big impact as well. She needed minutes, I think, and she needed lots of game time and she's getting that at, at Everton. Um, just one final bit on Chelsea. Um, was this anything to worry about? Do you, do you think that, because a lot of question marks have been aimed at Emma having all these star names and trying to keep everybody happy. Was it a, a little bit of that or is it just a, we had lots of chances, didn't quite be as clinical as we know we can be, uh, just a bad day at the office, move on. I think it's a bit of a wake-up call to some of the issues that Chelsea had last season and the season before, really, where they did struggle to finish chances in games that they utterly dominated. And I think perhaps there's a realisation here that we need to be more clinical, we need to be more ruthless. And I think there's characters in that team that are, Erin Cuthbert being one of them, she is you know, a, a bit like we mentioned about Georgia Stanway. She's a terrier. But they need, I think it's a it's a bit of an eye-opener that you, you need to just make sure that you can finish games off and you don't let teams like Everton get a sniff. And yes, you know, s- scoring nine goals is, is great for the WSL table in terms of goal difference, which will really come into play towards the last stage of the season. But when you're in a cup competition and if they do want to try and win the Champions League, they're going to need to be utterly ruthless against the top teams. And this is a learning experience for them. I think Flo's hit the nail on the head there with the Champions League. Look, Emma Hayes is a winner. She hates losing, but I don't think she'll lose too much sleep over this one. So, I mean, there's, look, there's another FA Cup you know, that starts again in a few months' time. But for, for Emma Hayes, I genuinely believe, you look at the signing she's made, the experience she's brought in, she wants to win Europe. And if she can only win one trophy this year, for me, I'm, I can't speak for her, but I think that's the one she, she would choose. I think you're right. I think she, you know, a double at the very least, whatever that double looks like. But whilst this will hurt momentarily, I think that one less cup competition may help Chelsea a little bit in terms of, of Europe this season. I mean, the tears for this FA Cup don't even go dry before we get the starts of the next FA Cup starting. Anyway, uh, Everton go on to face the winner of Brighton versus Birmingham. And this was a really close one. Georgie Brown on loan from Everton. A chance to win it here for Birmingham City. Good penalty. And she sends Birmingham City into the semi-finals. We got a penalty shootout in the final match of the weekend because it ended 2-2 between Brighton and Birmingham. Birmingham did take the lead twice with goals from Sarah Mayling and Molly Green, which were cancelled out by Brighton's Danielle Bowman and a last-minute equaliser from Denise O'Sullivan. No more goals were to be scored and it came down to penalties where Hannah Hampton reigned queen of the goals. So, in the league, this was a 2-0 win to Brighton not so long back. What do we think's changed in such a short amount of time, girls? I'm going to be slightly unkind here and say this was, of all the quarterfinals, the unsexy one. However, it delivered <laughs> probably the, the best match of the weekend. I just think you have to give an awful lot of credit to Carla Ward to what she's managed to do with Birmingham in the short amount of time that, that she's had there. I mean, she took over. She didn't even have a team really to take over. They were decimated. It was a mass exodus um, since the end of, of last season. And the players that left were big players, the likes of Keris Harrop, you know, that have been there at the club for, for a long time, Rachel Williams, players with international experience. And they all left. So she came in and she's had to rebuild this team very quickly. She came she in. She had to rebuild not only a team, but a club. 
I, I mean, are, are we talking that much? Because when players like Harrop are leaving, it says to you that this club very nearly didn't survive. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't even feel like a rebuild. It feels like a rescue mission in, in my <laughs> eyes. It feels like she's trying to catch a million plates that are slowly falling and smashing to the ground. That's how desperate it seems. And, and I think the fan base sensed that too. So this was huge for them. Yeah, look, I, I, I just think for, for what she's managed to do, she's she also came in at a time where players that maybe would have looked at going to Birmingham had already signed elsewhere. That There weren't a huge amount of players left. That's not yeah. to say anything against the players she's brought in. You know, she's brought in Rachel Causey, who's who spent a lot of time playing in America, a terrific player. And I just think you have to give her an awful lot of credit because she's not just rescued the team, she's actually turned them into an organised outfit. And whilst I, I think pushing towards the top of the table will probably be a bit beyond them this season, you know, they're into a cup semi-final. Um, they're playing Everton, who out of the three teams that they could have played would probably be the team that they'd choose. There's no reason why they can't get to a cup final, which would be incredible, to be honest, if they do that this season. One very quick question for you both um, on this fixture before we actually speak to Carla Ward, because we're going to have a chat with her. If she could, and I'll ask her myself, but in your opinion as journalists, if she could switch this around with that opening league fixture where they lost to Brighton 2-0... Because that could end up being a key fixture in relegation. Do you think she'd swap it round? That is a horrible. Yeah, question. I, I think I, I think she I think she would. To be honest, I think. I mean, I always thought start of the season in predictions, it's going to be a shootout between Bristol and Birmingham to see who can really concede the, the fewest goals. And I think she will probably, maybe, perhaps wish that they did get at least a point against Brighton. But at the same time. You know, maybe this momentum and this confidence boost will do a lot, do a lot for them because mm-hmm. Brighton were an informed team as well. See, I go the other way. I think it, the momentum that they're going to take from this, the confidence, if they can make an FA Cup final, and I, I do believe that on their their day they can they can be trouble for Everton. What it would do for the team in terms of morale and even a bit of bonding. I mean, yeah, Wembley won't be the same without the fans, but it's still Wembley. What that can do for the rest of the season, I think, goes beyond those those points or three points they could have got on the opening day. OK, well, let's find out from the lady herself, because it's Birmingham manager Carla Ward. <laughs> Carla, thank you very much for speaking to us. Uh, first of all, congratulations on that FA Cup quarterfinal win. And it came as a surprise to a few people, but I'm guessing watching your players up close, not a surprise to you. No, I mean, listen, I, I, I knew it was a surprise to everyone it was going to be. I think, you know, when I took over four weeks ago, we had eight players and um, we were um, in no uncertain terms in a bit of a mess. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a tough task over the last few weeks. But look, the girls have stuck together. They've been um, unbelievable, um, showed real resilience. And, um, you know, we've tried to install a belief into them and a mindset into them. Um, that you know what we might be the second best team on paper Um, but if we can outwork them outfight them outtackle them and and make sure we make it difficult then we've got half a chance and on Sunday I thought we did that absolutely down to a tee. And you showed that you've got that lasting spirit as well because to go to penalties there is a mental side of the game there that you needed to instill as well. Yeah I think when I first took the job which I did question myself many times when I first took it I thought one of the first things was to really try and get a mentality into them of, of a togetherness and a tight knit where you can look around the dressing room and everyone's going to run for a brick wall for you. Um, and it's something I spoke about quite a lot in week one. Um, and I think sort of four, five weeks on now and um, you can start seeing them really fighting for each other and 
then they conceded in the 89th minute I'm sat there thinking god and then we got in the huddle and, and the message was clear have a look around each other how much more have you got to give each other because that's what it's all about now we've got 30 minutes the game won't be won now with quality because everyone's tired the game will be one of who wants it more and who's ready to fight um and and that's what they did and um credit to them because they were exceptional they pushed boundaries i didn't even know they had and you've got a positive now to build on but let's not ignore what you've referenced to there which is the magnitude of this task that that you've taken on from the outset carla you've been playing catch-up i think that's been clear to see i think reading between the lines looking at the names that left the club, Keris Harrop, who'd been with Birmingham for so many years, Rachel Williams, they, they'd been ingrained, they were the lifeblood of Birmingham City. And I think people really started to get concerned when names like that started to leave. I mean, was this a rescue job? Was the club really nearly on its feet? Was it about to go? Yes, I think that's the reality. I think, look, even I sat there a week before I spoke to him about the job and I was saying to people, whoever takes that job is daft. It was actually the words they used. Um, because you know that's um, that a lot of players walked out the door, and like you said, big players. But I think once I got in, I realised there was still a lot of quality here, and and some really honest, hardworking individuals that are stuck by the football club, and and they deserved, um, you know, they deserved to, a chance to to compete, and um, and we we've allowed we've managed to to give them that because essentially we had to get players in on with not a lot, so. Maybe they weren't for me because I can beg, borrow and steal because that's what we've had to do. You know, at Sheffield United, we didn't have any money either. So that's just, uh, you know, the position that the club are in. So we've had to do what we can do, manage to get some bodies in. We're still short, make no bones about it. We still need, you know, a few more bodies. But um, we're at least now being able to compete. But I'll be honest, it is project survival. We have to we have to stay in the division and it's not going to be easy. There is a huge job on the pitch, but I, I feel like you're probably being pulled in other directions behind the scenes that we're not getting to see as well. Is there a lot going on there? Um, look, I th- essentially, the bottom line is my job is to, to keep us in the division. Um, and that's what I've got to focus on. I can try and influence as much as I can off the pitch, which I, which anyone that knows me knows I will ask anything to anyone. So, um, you know, I certainly am trying to break... Um, down some barriers um but essentially i'm here to do a job on the pitch and, and try and um like i said stay in the division now talking of the big borrowing and stealing which category did alan reeves as your new head coach where did he fall in so alan is somebody i spoke to about bringing in at sheffield last year um someone that i've known for a while now um you know he I'm very much attack minded he's very much defense minded so um you know it, it works um, but I tried to get him in at Sheffield and then it didn't didn't transpire. This was a couple of years ago now. Um, and then obviously I spoke to him only a week ago and sort of said, look, you know, this is what I need, X, Y and Z. Would you be up for it? I need an assistant. Do you fancy coming on a journey? I made it clear it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. Um, and his answer was, listen, I um, when he obviously played for the crazy gang, the good old crazy gang years for women <laughs> against the wall time. And um, he said, that's what I'm all about. And I said, good, because you're going to need a little bit of that here. Um, you know, we are going to be nine times out of 10, second best team on paper. So he said, brilliant. Love that. That's what we were always about at Wimbledon. We went to, he started telling me stories about it. And I said, right, come on, how do we make it happen? So we managed to, uh, to get him in. Yeah. 
well, this is going to be a real coup having him then. And defensively, hopefully that means just in time as well for Chelsea on Sunday. <laughs> you can shut up shop a bit at the back. I, I wish I could convey the, the facial message for audio that you just called for us over Zoom. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think... Um, no, listen, make no bones about it. Chelsea are unbelievable. And you saw, you know, what they can do against Bristol. And, and um, they're, uh, they're going to be tough. But like you just said, Reevesy is um, the opposite to me. He he certainly knows how to defend. Um, you know, at least we've been excited in the first few games, scoring goals going forward. But equally, we need to shut up shop at the back. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's a good mix and he can um, he can really sort of tighten that up. I said to Joe and Flo on the podcast that I would ask you this. Uh, would you trade that opening fixture, that opening defeat with Brighton for the, for the cup victory? Because starting off on that footing, you'd have seen that fixture on paper. I'm sure you would have liked three points from that one. So before all of this, I said we've got Brighton twice um, in the first three games. I said I'd rather take three points and get knocked out of the cup. Now, today... I'm saying, no, no, no. We're going to try and pick up points in the league. This cup win will hopefully give us a little bit of um, belief and momentum. So, um, no, I'm quite happy where we are now, actually. I, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, though, I probably would have said, no, I want three points in the league. Um, but what it has done is that belief in the way we had to dig deep from a mindset and mentality, long run, I think that will benefit us. Yeah, it gives you some belief. And you've managed to bring in big players as well, like Rachel Corsi. I suppose the the other juggling factor is this busy week because that was a gruelling game against Brighton in the Cup. You've then got the semi-final against Everton and then you've got Chelsea. How are you managing that? With great difficulty, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, we had a press call earlier and I said I absolutely was astounded that the um, semi-final was three days later. It's um, it's not ideal in the slightest Um I particularly as well because this ridiculous rule of five subs is in, which doesn't help us because, I mean, we played Brighton at the weekend. They've made six changes because you get an extra one in extra time. And we're, we can, we're sitting there making one. So um, physically, it's going to be quite tough. Um, we had to get them in yesterday on the day off for recovery and some poor work. And we've had to get them in today. So it's not ideal. It's not ideal. And then... Um, depending on what happens tomorrow night we've then got to somehow rescue the legs again ready for Chelsea just a small matter of Chelsea so hopefully Emma Hayes feels sorry for us decides to make um, oh actually if she makes 11 changes I'll be completely honest they'll still have a world-class team so no we just go accept the fact we're going to be playing against an unbelievable side on Sunday Carla Ward, Birmingham City manager there and a semi-finalist that we've managed to speak to here on the offside rule. So it's Everton versus Birmingham on Wednesday and City versus Arsenal on Thursday. Uh, Flo Jo, um, I, I did only just realised that it rhymes for the first time on this podcast. Um, who are your winners, please, and why? I'm going to let Flo go first. Have fun. Uh, the That's a tough one. I think Everton... I think Everton will win that that Birmingham City game, but I think the Man City Arsenal game is going to be really, really, really tight. I think what we've seen so far from Arsenal has been the beauty of 
a, a core squad who have played together for a very long time, who know each, each other inside out. I mean, they could practically play football with blindfolds on. That's how that's how good their awareness is because they just sense each other's presence so well. We saw that with some of the goals on the weekend. So I just I think I see Arsenal beating City in that other semi final because Arsenal are just so so well rehearsed these days and I think having that group who know each other well who've played together for so long such top talent as well I think I see them coming out and I think Manchester City is still sort of finding their feet a little bit with some of the new players they brought in so I think Everton will will get past Birmingham but I think Birmingham will make it uh, frustrating for them I think they'll make it ugly I think they'll make it tough um, I think Everton, in the end, will 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 have enough. When it comes to City and Arsenal, just from watching Arsenal at the weekend and just seeing them look a little bit tired, I think a lot will depend on how they turn up to play this game. But for me, yes, City are not all guns blazing at the moment. They haven't hit top gear, but defensively, they are very, very tough to break down. And at home, and remember, it's going to be cold in Manchester because that's what Manchester is. Um, those soft, actually... those soft southerners aren't ready for the weather change. I think your words, not mine, but I totally agree. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that it's not going to be a high-scoring game. Um, there'll be very little in it. It'll be literally take your chances. But for me, I think City defensively will be able to keep Arsenal at bay. Um, okay. I think I'm going to go for a, a Man City win, but it's going to be tough. And next week, I'll pretend that Arsenal are going to win because they might win as well. Well, similar as my predictions are all over the shop this week. <laughs> I would have gone Everton, Arsenal. But having spoken to Carla, I'm, I'm now going to go Birmingham City. Why not? Shallow. We'll do it that way. <laughs> uh, well, we wait to find out what happens later this week. Just before we end, we've got time to look at the WSL. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Amy Lawrence, Nancy Frostick, David Ornstein, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. If you're not yet a subscriber, take out a free 30-day trial right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash offside. So the WSL returns this weekend. Woohoo! I feel like it's all disjointed already and it's so early on. Uh, which matches stand out for you this weekend then both? Um, these are the fixtures that we've got. Aston Villa against Everton, Manchester United against Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, Man City against Spurs, Arsenal against Bristol City, Birmingham against Chelsea and West Ham take on Reading. You can pick a fixture each that you're looking forward to and why. I will take the obvious one and say Man City, Tottenham. Please, can Alex Morgan make her debut? Because then we can stop talking about Alex Morgan making her debut. Um, I just hope Spurs can sort of pick themselves up after their quarterfinal and give Manchester City a really good game. But for me, that's the, the, the one on paper that I am looking forward to watching most. Do you think that's got a draw written all over it? I, I immediately <laughs> feel like that could be a 1-1 or a nil-nil even. I think Manchester City will start growing into this season and that means they, they are going to start scoring goals. Um, so I, I, I'll go for a City win. It's at home. Um, but again, if, if Spurs can play anything like they did for the first 70 minutes against Arsenal, they, they can frustrate City. Um, and then after that, who knows? OK, so if you're a bit greedy like me and you want goals, and I know producer Abby is an Arsenal fan anyway, <laughs> but you, you look at Arsenal Bristol City and I'm sort of rubbing my hands together thinking there might be a few goals there. I'm a bit worried about the Birmingham City, Chelsea and Arsenal, Bristol City games because 
they could be another another sign of the real gap um, we're starting to see with with some of the teams in WSL, and they could could even reach double figures in some of those. So I'm not going to focus on those because I think they might depress me. I think my game is going to be Man United Brighton. I'm really enjoying this kind of quiet uh, resurgence and kind of unexpected. I don't know. I don't know how to call it because Brighton are so hard to to kind of read. But I just really enjoying what Brighton are doing at the moment, taking a lot of people by surprise, nicking that point against Man City. No one really expected that, and I'm looking to see how they frustrate Man United. And I think that's going to be a really tight game. We also could be seeing Kristen Press and Tobin Heath for the first time, so a lot of fans will be looking forward to that, watching that game. As well, and we might even, you know, be causing an international crash of the the FA player on the weekend. So I think that's going to be my game, uh, my game of the weekend. I'm with you, Flo, and it's also because it's Casey against Hope Powell. Come on, you know they they she's been her captain when they were when they were with the Lionesses, and I just I did tactically. Oh, you know, can you imagine if this is nil nil, seventy minutes, and they've got to make a substitute, and it all comes down to what they do? Ah, oh, come on, um, that's all we've got time for on this show. So our thanks to Flo and Joe. Yes, it does rhyme. Uh, I think it's time to dig out the thermals, ladies, then for this next weekend. Um, where are you, Joe? So I'll be doing both semi-finals this week. It's an absolute privilege to be at both games. I promise I will sit in the stands this time and not in a warm Winnebago. And I think both games are going to be terrific. So yeah, I'm very lucky that I get to go and watch both of those. I'll enjoy those. And Flo? I will be on Sunday inside a tiny room uh, working on the women's football show, watching about four different screens at one time and probably getting a very bad headache. (laughs) Well, we hope that you don't get a headache. But just you're in a privileged position as well. You're getting to watch all four at once. Um, well, we oh look yeah, to... exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we look forward to bringing you reaction to a full round of WSL fixtures then next week. Head over to offsiderallpodcast.com for more women's football articles, including interviews with Manchester United's Kristen Press and Tobin Heath, who Flo is looking forward to watching. Uh, please give us a rating and review as well, wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help other people find us. And from time to time, we'll read out some of the comments as well. Until next week then, goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. I'm Adam Leventhal and I'm here to tell you about the latest podcast from The Athletic. Beyond the headline, we're going to be taking an even deeper look at some of the extraordinary stories that have captured the football world. It just looks like the most sort of miserable marriage. It's it's been a a loveless marriage from, from day one, really. We've got the most authoritative voices in football to take you right to the heart of the action. That season was just such a toxic, I mean, it's the most unbelievable season I think I've covered and, you know, there have been a few of those. It all starts on September 21st with a three-part special on Newcastle United and the takeover that never was. The lack of ambition in the club in the last 10, 12 years has flattened people in in this city. I think it could be a legacy lost. 
That's Beyond the Headline, the latest podcast from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via The Athletic app. Muddy Knees Media.